Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Yes, that is me on remote here today. Coming to you live from about an hour outside of Washington, D.C., where tonight at about 8 p.m. Eastern, I'll be uh, on the Tim Pool show, Tim Cast on YouTube. Uh, looking forward to that. And I've already been warned. Tim likes his gotcha questions. You know I like gotcha questions. So uh, looking forward to that conversation. Uh, Todd and Aaron, you are back there in our comfy confines of a studio in Des Moines. Hopefully you guys had great weekends. We had fantastic weekends. And I do love, Steve, that y- you don't even attempt to, like, get the best possible angle in the room or the hotel you're in. You just go full swinging light bulb like you've just been worked over. I appreciate that greatly. That's outside. The microwave in the background looks like it may have, like, MacGyver bomb in it or something. <laughs> love it. Well, the the hotel here is, shall we say, a little Spartan. And... uh it wasn't like there were a lot of options. First world problems. I mean, I slept great. I mean, nice people, cool diner right here. But, you know, this isn't a, a, a sprawling suite here, Todd, where we had multiple angles. This is you're pretty much looking at the whole room except where we slept. <laughs> we are looking at it. Right? We need more Spartan. You know, absolutely. Leonidas, you're Leonidas today. Well done. Well, I don't know. I'd go that far. But again, uh, we're not. Uh, you know what? By the miracles of modern technology, we are here to bring you the same level of mediocrity that you are accustomed to. Uh, coming up, we have a lot coming on uh, the show here today. Uh, Riley Gaines is going to join us, uh, the championship swimmer at the bottom of the hour, who has decided to go uh, to war. Uh, similar to your daughter, Todd uh, Ainsley, last year here locally. Uh, she has decided to do this nationally on behalf of uh, femininity and women's sports. We will talk to her about that coming up at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we will have um, our Ask Me Anything questions courtesy of our Facebook followers. So we look forward to that. It's always an adventure to see if my Facebook post actually make it, uh, makes it, make it to be seen by our nearly 150,000 Facebook followers that generate, you know, each post about five comments and three likes. So you never know whether Facebook will even let you see things that I post. So that's always an adventure in and of itself. And then a lot of you have been asking us to comment on the Asbury revival. I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure how to give commentary on that kind of an event, having not been there and not really witnessing firsthand uh, what is going on. Obviously, we have been well aware of it. I've tweeted out many things about it, posted on all my socials this morning, uh, a pretty uh, fantastic perspective uh, from someone who had interviewed a lot of the participants. I know that there is also some skepticism out there in the church community about this. And, And let me just say, first and foremost, skepticism isn't cynicism. The Bible encourages skepticism. I mean, at one point in time, God gets so frustrated with the Jewish people. He, the one time he gets so frustrated, even, this is the only time he invites them to test him directly. And it's on the, the question of tithing. Um, we're told in the New Testament to test the spirits. There's an entire book of the, judge, of, the book of, of, of the Bible called Judges, all right, where, you know, um, discernment is, is something that is encouraged heavily in the scriptures. We're not to be naive. Uh, we're to be wise as serpents. So it's okay to be skeptical. I mean, it is. It, 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 when you talk about how necessary revival was to the formation of this country and how 
much of a requirement it will be for the sustaining of it. The enemy knows this too. The enemy's not like, oh, snap, got totally ambushed by, what's this revival thing? No, I mean, and, and he is known to create counterfeits across the board. So it's okay to be skeptical, but what's the difference between being cynical and skeptical? Cynical, from a Christian standpoint, is where we get into unbelief and a lack of faith. Cynical is when we now get legalistic. Cynical is when we are rooting for things. We're so convinced we've lost sight of our faith. We've lost sight of the sovereignty of God. We're almost now too aware of the darkness. And so therefore, anything that it looks like might be earnestly attacking the darkness, we immediately say, oh, nothing good comes from Nazareth. When skepticism is what the great Jewish teacher that Paul learned from, when he was confronted with this new sect of, of, that came out of Judaism that believed Yeshua of Nazareth was Messiah. And there was great division within the Sanhedrin uh, at the time about this. And some of the Pharisees, like uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, actually believed that he was Messiah. Many others did not. And then you had the Sadducees that weren't even sure they even believed in a Messiah anymore at all. And one of the great Jewish teachers that was Paul's mentor, uh, the great line that he says in the book of Acts, you know, if this is of God, we won't be able to stop it anyway. That to me is healthy skepticism. You know, Jesus said, you know, a tree by its fruit. Let's wait and see what kind of fruit this event, let's see what kind of fruit it produces before we poo-poo it. Let's not be seen rooting against revival. Let's not step on rakes though either. So we're going to talk to a student who's a fan of this show who has been within that revival. He's going to join us at uh, the final segment of this program, and let's get a, a firsthand glimpse of what he has witnessed there with, at Asbury uh, Bible College. So we'll get to that and more coming up today. But first and foremost, let us begin, as we always do, by Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by These People Know What Time It Is. That, as you can see, is a crowd of protesters in New York City over the weekend marching from Pfizer's headquarters to the United Nations, chanting Nuremberg, Nuremberg, and holding signs like arrest Fauci and no clot shots. I wonder what they're protesting about. This comes as news came to pass that Brooke Jackson, the clinical trial supervisor who blew the whistle on Pfizer over its testing of COVID vaccines, announced she's been granted her day in court in her lawsuit against Pfizer. She claims they lied and or obfuscated data from the clinical trials. Jackson's testimony is featured in detail in one of the chapters of Rise of the Fourth Reich, out now. In completely unrelated news, the daily jab administration rate has hit its lowest levels since the jab campaign began two years ago. That's not stopping Pfizer from pimping their COVID antiviral Paxlovid. COVID-19 and being overweight makes it more risky. I'm calling my doctor. If it's COVID, Paxlovid. Authorized for emergency use, Paxlovid is an oral treatment for people 12 and up who have mild to moderate COVID-19 and have a high risk factor for it becoming severe. <clears throat> my symptoms are mild now, but I'm not waiting. If it's COVID, Paxlovid. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is actually, if it's Paxlovid, it's COVID. 实际上, the NFL Players Association is being urged to screen all players for heart issues over the side effects of the jab. The Health Freedom Defense Fund urged the association in a recent letter to implement screening because the vaccines can cause myocarditis and young males are most at risk. 
And the chef's kiss of this weekend in COVID news is this headline from NBC. Immunity acquired from a COVID infection is as protective as vaccination against severe illness and death, study finds. Yes, what would have gotten you kicked off of every major platform two of the last three years is now published in plain terms at NBC News. Moving on, Mitch McConnell finally has something to say about the disaster in East Palestine. Listen to this. Well, I'm going to try to help explain to the American people that defeating the Russians in Ukraine is the single most important event going on in the world right now. That's okay because fellow compassionate Senator Lindsey Graham always gets to the bottom of it. I'm not worried about provoking Putin. I'm, I, I want to beat him. And how do you beat him? You beat him by giving the Ukrainians the military capability to drive the Russians out of Ukraine. At least Joe Biden promised to send aid to East Palestine. And provide aid for those seeking refuge in other countries from Ukraine. <clears throat> it's also going to help schools and hospitals open. It's going to allow pensions and social support to be paid to the Ukrainian people so they have something, something in their pocket. Yeah, you heard that right. We're now paying the pensions of random Ukrainians so they can have some walking around money. Perfect. Donald Trump lashed out at Florida Governor Ron DeSantis a couple of times over the weekend in a post on his website, Truth Social. Trump said, quote, Ron DeSanctimonious wants to cut your Social Security and Medicare, closed up Florida and its beaches, loves rhinos, Paul Ryan, Jeb Bush and Carl Rove disasters, all is backed by the Globalists Club for No Growth, Lincoln Perfect Project and Uninspired Cook. And it only gets worse from there. He's a rhino in disguise whose poll numbers are dropping like a rock. Good luck, Ron. In another post, Trump wrote, I will never call Ron de Sanctimonious Meatball Ron, as the fake news is insisting I will. Even though Fox News killing lightweight Paul Ryan is revered by him, low-energy Jeb Bush is his hero. And always at his side, his beaches and state were closed for long periods of time. His testing, testing, testing for the China virus didn't work out too well, and his loyalty skills are really weak. It would be totally inappropriate to use the word meatball as a moniker for Ron. Trump announced he's visiting East Palestine, Ohio this week, shortly after he made that announcement. The Federal Emergency Management Agency said they're sending aid to the region after all, after previously denying Ohio's request. Moving on, another triumph of the rainbow jihad. Here's two homos and a baby on TikTok. So this is how we chose our beautiful egg donor. Um, so we wanted her to have lovely big eyes. I wanted her to have really thick hair because I've had two hair transplants. <laughs> I wanted her to have a really wide, nice smile and just look like a kind person. Yeah, and we wanted her to be creative because we love the arts. Yeah. So how it works is you join up with an egg donor agency and you literally go through thousands, that's what Stuart That's what I did. I went through thousands, thousands, thousands. I shortlisted them, sent them to Francis and yeah. let him decide. And then we had, I had three or four in front of me and then we had a few Zoom calls with the ones that we liked, and then the yeah. first egg donor let us down. Fuming, so second egg donor let us down. Oh, yeah. Fuming. Fuming, and then by the third, we literally found her, and I was like, oh, she's incredible. And when we got on the Zoom call, we were like, oh, be calm, God, play it so down, beautiful. don't be too keen. Um, and and luckily, she said yes, and this is the result. As of this weekend, the Asbury Revival was still going strong. It started after a 10 a.m. chapel service on Wednesday, February 8th, when a group of about 20 students in the worship team said they felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to continue worship past the end of the chapel service at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. According to blogger Samuel Say, a few hours later, president of the university sent an email to the students encouraging them to visit the chapel to join the 20 students on what he described as an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Apparently, 200 students arrived for worship at the chapel soon after, and there was nonstop worship even through this weekend. And finally, has artificial intelligence gone too far? You be the judge.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fox's coverage of an American bombing run on Hiroshima. Uh, I'm Joe Buck, and with me, as always, is Troy Aikman. It's a crisp August morning in southern Japan, and what goes better in the morning than Dunkin' Donuts? America runs on Dunkin'. Japan's air defenses have been laughable in the last few months, Troy. Do you see them putting up any kind of a fight? I just can't, Joe. Japan has been miserable recently, but they just refuse to quit. I could see bombings like this one going on for months. It looks like we're starting here, so let's cut to the aerial coverage brought to you by Goodyear. Here comes the Enola Gay. It's about overhead of Hiroshima now. Gay, and he drops the payload. Let's take another look with the Toyota Instant Replay. Looks like it only dropped one bomb, Joe. Can't expect it to do much damage. You really can't, Troy. But what you can expect is for America to tune in to a brand new episode of The Simpsons, followed by a new family guy, only on Fox. And that was a massive explosion, Troy. Let's hear from Aaron Andrews down in downtown Hiroshima. Aaron. Looks like we're having some technical issues with the headset. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> Am I supposed to laugh at that or not? I, f- I, I, I felt dirty the first time I laughed at I it, but I, I, I did nonetheless. <sighs> Awkward segue alert. Did you know that a majority of U.S. pork production it comes from a company? that has Chinese ownership, because why not? Everything else does. Except our friends over at Moink, they deliver grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door from Moink farmers and fishermen that farm and fish like our grandparents did. And as a result, Moink meat tastes like it should, because the family farm and the family fishermen does it better. Taste the Moink difference with every single bite, and you can feel good knowing that you're helping family farms stay financially independent as well. All right. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash Steve right now. That's moinkbox.com slash Steve. And when you do, you'll get free filet mignon in every order for a year. That's free filet mignon in every order for a year when you go to moink, M-O-I-N-K, moinkbox.com slash Steve. That's moinkbox.com slash Steve. All right. Coming up, Today on the program, or after the program, uh, the overtime for Blaze TV subscribers, we've got our latest Twitter poll. I asked you which singular word, for those of you that went to public school, singular means, never mind. Uh, What one word best describes the current era? What one word best describes the current era? We will look at the results of how you voted and react to them in the overtime today exclusively for Blaze TV subscribers. If you want to make sure that you don't ever miss an episode, you don't ever wake up one day and, hey, this is the day they've decided to nuke us from every single platform because we've told them too much truth and dropped too many truth bombs on them. One way to make sure that that day never comes for you is to be a subscriber to Blaze TV. You'll get all kinds of extra and exclusive content as a part of being a Blaze TV subscriber as well. Just 10 bucks a month when you go to blazetv.com slash dace. Again, blazetv.com slash D-E-A-C-E. That's how you'll be able to watch the overtime later today at blazetv.com slash dace. All right, so gentlemen, let's get to what is in the montage. We're going to discuss again uh, the Asbury revival. We're going to discuss that uh, a little bit later on. Um, 
Right now, I don't really see much of a need since it's pretty obvious that we're months away from Ron DeSantis even getting into the race. I really just don't see much of a need to, to comment any further on that matter. And frankly, as disgusting as that commentary is, um, Aaron's dichotomy there of just disgusting. But if I had read that, those, 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 as, and told you guys they were tweets from Charlie Crist in the Florida Democratic Party, would you have believed it? You'd have believed it. Well, they actually would have probably had better grammar. But other than that, you would have believed it. That all notwithstanding, um, there's no question that if Trump had not announced he was going to Ohio, they were going to leave those people for dead because they had already left them for dead before he did. So I think Aaron accurately kind of captured the yin and yang of the Trump era. Trump himself is not a good human being. Trump himself, however, is a very effective politician for our uh, agenda most times. So that's why there's such strong feelings. All right. You have people who know that's not a good human being, and he's not. Then you have people that know he's a very effective politician uh, when compared to the people that are currently running the country, and he is. And you can see that both of those things, by the way, are, are moral positions. There are people, there is no question that Trump lies. There is no question that he is dishonest, and, it, it, and he's an adulterer. Anybody that denies those things just is, you know, on another planet or themselves um, may be detached from reality. Those things are all true. What is also true, however, is there are people that are otherwise suffering right now because he's not president that wouldn't be if he was. That is also true. And so this is where the strong feelings come from. Both of these things are simultaneously, without question, incontrovertibly true. They are absolutely true. And that's why people uh, have have kind of drawn swords here and can't look at it uh, reasonably. And uh, on, in many cases, you're either Cheeto Jesus saves, as we've often said on the show over the years, uh, or you are orange man bad. All we are is just do your damn job. That's all we care about. I'll look for a buddy. Um, I'll look for a, 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 an inspirational figure later. Um, they're, they're few and far between in this era. Right now, and I don't view America as a special place. I'll get to that here in a second. It's just the best place right now to live. And he makes it better, uh, a better place to live when he's in charge compared to the people that are. And I know some people need a, a, a higher um, uh, aspiration than that. I used to, too, and then I paid attention to the last few years and realized higher aspirations are located in places probably like Asbury College and not based on who the president of the United States is or isn't in many cases. Um, the Brooke Jackson chapter, I, I can't even, and Aaron mentioned, thank you, Aaron, for the plug. Uh, she is one of the many pivotal interviews that you will read in Rise of the Fourth Reich, confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial. So this never happens again out right now. Uh, thank you guys so much. We have the sales numbers to make the New York Times bestseller list later this week. We'll, we will see if they can bring themselves to actually acknowledge that. I'm not going to hold my breath. But her chapter, she was one of the first interviews that we did in the book. The, the interviews in the book are not assembled chronologically in the order in which we did them, but she was one of the very first chapters that we did. And I just remember being on the phone with her and all these are recorded again. Everyone's recorded. Everyone's on the record. We've got the raw audio of everybody's claim. So come at me. I got receipts. Okay. And that interview was, I was just like, I mean, it was, it's, it's incredible. Um, I, I could, I could probably quicker sum up 
what Brooke alleges by saying that, that Pfizer essentially abandoned all of the previous mechanisms uh, for study integrity when it, that, they had, that, that have been utilized in the past when it came to the COVID vaccines. And then other than that, they have a wonderful singing voice. Uh, so there, that's good. And it's also very appropriate to be chanting Nuremberg outside the headquarters of Pfizer. Even more, I think, valid would be putting them on trial like at Nuremberg. I think even better than chanting that, which I'm all for, by the way. Man. Props to those New Yorkers for doing that. Steve, but I'm actually if, much more in favor of putting them on a Nuremberg trial. I don't know about the Holy Spirit moving in Asbury, but the cosmic timing of your book coming out when these people are hitting the streets, when this doctor, you've because we, we argued, Daniel was like, oh, wish this book would have come out six months ago. We could have used it. Right. That's undeniably so. But God clearly has his own plans. The fact that she gets her day in court simultaneously right. as the book coming out. And I, that's not your doing. That's not any, I'm, that's, that's freaking amazing is what that is. It, it does feel as if, you know, someone sent me a note today that you've got the Jesus Revolution movie coming out later this week. And um, I will say the theater, the distribution people that we've talked to about Nefarious are very high on that film and that it's it's tracking as strongly as I can only imagine, which is one of the most successful uh, Christian films since The Passion. Uh, but someone kind of sent me a list of, of things that are going on right now, this revival and questions over it, uh, that, that upcoming film. Um, the, the information and stuff that, you know, when Daniel and I, you know what, since you mentioned that, Todd, let me peel the curtain back. The reason why we put out the introduction last summer, right as the manuscript was finished. And I don't remember if I said this at the time or not on the air, but let me say to you, say it to you now, just in case I did not. The reason why we put that out there, remember, uh, Elon Musk had not purchased Twitter yet. There was still some dispute about whether that would ever actually occur. The level of censorship on Facebook and Instagram was extraordinary. I mean, remember, we went, I, I don't know of another show as large as ours that has gone, that went six months without posting anything on, or whatever it was, four months. I don't remember, Aaron, how long it was. We went without posting anything on YouTube. I, I don't know of a show as big as ours that did that or bigger just because of the amount of censorship we were up against. And so we we made the decision to put that introduction out that early to test the censorship, to see if we were gonna need to come up with an alternative distribution uh, than Barnes & Noble, Amazon, et cetera. That's, there was a method to that madness, that's why we did that, because that it would take probably four to six months to put an alternative distribution system in place in case we were going to be censored like that. And so that's how, that's how things have, that's how much the Overton window has expanded on COVID and the jab just since last July, I think is when we started pre-sales on this book. That's how much things have changed. So, you know, when, when we, when we finished this book, we thought there was a chance it could never get to market. And now Todd, you are correct. It seems as if it has arrived at almost the exact right. perfect time. And I, I think you are watching long form, explicit spiritual warfare occurring out in the open in the midst of this country right now. That is what you are watching take place. 
These are things that are beyond politics. They are beyond labels. This is long-form, explicit spiritual warfare that is taking place. That is why you are seeing this confluence of events. I mean, you are watching the forces of darkness and light are just in the middle of the ring right now, guys. All right? They're in the middle of the ring. And, you know, it's it's like a Rocky movie 10th, 11th, 12th round, whether it's Drago, you know, whether it's Mr. T, whether it's Apollo Creed, and just haymakers are getting exchanged right now. And I think that's that's why it's, if it's like, man, I can't, I can't keep up with everything. This stuff's all, there's a million things going on. There's 15, every day, there's 15 sh- stories we could do an entire two-hour show about every single day. And, and I think it's because you are watching you're watching light and dark in the middle of the ring right now, just launching haymakers at each other. And it, and, and it, each of us has to make the decision here. Are we spectators or active participants in that battle? And then if we're active participants, which one are we throwing the punches on behalf of? Preach, man, to quote Hamish and Braveheart. Well, we didn't get dressed up for nothing. <laughs> Let's do right it. Right on the money. Right on the money. I want to talk about Ukraine. And man, I was on a roll when I got up this morning. Okay. You I think? Mean, I, I, it's the first time I've been to DC since COVID. And, you know, the idea for a nefarious plot was hatched here. And, uh, um, and, and now we're getting ready to launch the movie that it inspired. So I just woke up this morning and just, you know, I'm about halfway between West Virginia and D.C. is about where I'm at right now. And it it just a lot of thoughts going through my head. And um, I see Joe Biden has made a clandestine trip to Ukraine. And I don't know what happened, guys. Switch got flipped in my brain. And uh, I just went off on Twitter this morning. And then I went out. It's 60 degrees here, so it's a cardio day for me. So I went for like a long five-mile walk, enjoying the warm air, no snow on the ground. Thought I thought, and then I came back in, got showered, I've got ready to do the show, and I thought I'm relaxed. I'm going to be of a decent, even-keeled temperament. All right, not the guy of sackcloth and ash that I was this morning on Twitter, and uh, just daring the feds to come after me, basically. And um, then I saw Aaron's montage. I saw Mitch McConnell just selling out Americans while he's out there wearing that Ukrainian flag tie. I saw that effeminate bastard, Lindsey Graham, who made a choice with his loins to follow a lifestyle that won't produce any sons. So, of course, he doesn't care about offending Putin over not a damn thing anybody cares about because it won't be anybody with his DNA out there dying for nothing. Bastard. And now I'm pissed again. So let me just say, because I know we're short on time, let me say a few very quick things. Number one, there's no way in hell, no way in hell, my son is dying in your war for nothing. No way. Don't care what the penalty is. I don't care what you threaten me with. Never happening. And I'll encourage everybody I know to not have their sons dying for your war for nothing either. Send Hunter out there. Let his ass die. Lord knows he's tried to kill himself with enough crack to begin with. Hell no. Not happening. And if you think you're drafting my daughters, might as well get the camps ready now. You're going to need them. I can promise you, you'll need them. Not happening ever in a million years. 
not happening. I've watched this country the last 15 years call me a racist because I thought it was dumb for Barack Obama to put more people on food stamps than the population of Spain. I watched the America first president just hand over a successful presidency to the frickin' demonic dweeb Anthony Fauci. Order lockdowns, determine what businesses owned by moms and dads that had existed in families for generations were essential or not, and then begin the absolute worst domestic policy of my lifetime, Operation Warp Speed, which did nothing but just warp speed the tyranny. And that's when it wasn't killing and poisoning people. And now we've got a dementia-rattled president who couldn't rem doesn't remember your name, but remembers Ukraine. And you pay. You, you pay for Ukraine. You pay. Your government's nowhere for you when you're literally watching the creeks boil over with assets. But make sure you pay the Ukrainian social safety net. Now, my, my patriotism's all but gone. Don't get me wrong. I'll still sit here and fight for the things this country once stood for. But understand, folks, most of the time when we do those things, we will be fighting against this country because the, the calls, they're coming from inside the house. All a war with Putin and China will determine is which language the social credit system is published in. You want to die for that? Wave that flag all the way to hell. You'll wave it without me. That's a little bit of how I felt on Twitter this morning. And I thought I was over it until I saw Aaron's montage, and now I'm pissed again. More in a moment. On the Steve Day Show, I am on remote because I'm going to be doing the Tim Pool Show tonight, the Tim Cast on YouTube at 8 o'clock Eastern. So make sure you tune in for that. I'm somewhere here halfway between D.C. and West Virginia. I think it's Brunswick, Maryland, I think is where I'm at right now. Uh, so excuse uh, the crude setup uh, and uh, the crude sound. Todd and Aaron are still back in our posh state-of-the-art studio. So at least the part of the show when they speak will sound good and look good. Um we talk a lot about the need for courage of conviction on this show and um, the loss of integrity in America. Let's define what it is. A consistency of courage and, uh, and conviction. A consistency of right belief and right behavior. Notice I didn't say perfection. None of us is perfect. All have sinned and fallen short. But, but do we strive for consistency that at the, when, at the end, the long road of our life, there'll be ups and dips and downs, but the long road is going in the same direction, long obedience in the same direction. That's what our friends at Constitution Wealth, that's what they are all about, helping you align your portfolio with your values. All right. A consistency there, integrity in your finances. All right. Put your money to work, not for the spirit of the age but for your values and your virtues to combat the spirit of the age instead. They don't want you to have to make the decision anymore between profit and principle. They want to align those two things. They'll help you do that right now when you go to invest with CW for Constitution Wealth. Investwithcw.com slash Steve. Schedule a free consultation. These guys are smart, passionate, fiery, uh, pull no punches, kind of like this show. 
right? Uh, invest with CW, except for maybe the smart part. Investwithcw.com slash Steve to schedule a free consultation today with Constitution Wealth at investwithcw.com slash Steve. Speaking of an alignment of courage and conviction, right belief and right behavior, integrity. Riley Gaines was nominated for the NCAA Female Athlete of the Year. Uh, she won three individual conference titles uh, in the SEC at Kentucky, uh, broke two SEC records, 12 different All-American awards, even had time while training at that level to graduate summa cum laude at the University of Kentucky as well. And now she is speaking out uh, in defense of femininity and women's sports, sanity, <laughs> and more. And she joins us now here today on Blaze TV uh, radio and podcast. Riley, it is an honor to have you with us, Riley. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for the kind intro. I think you make me seem cooler than I really am. So thank you. Well, all of it is deserved. And what I know you swam against the artist who claims to be known as Leah Thomas. And for people that don't know, Leah Thomas attempted to swim, I believe, the previous year against men and finished in something like 462nd place, right? And, Very correct, and, yes. And then the next year decided that um, uh, that, that he was maybe the wrong gender and swam against the women. I believe won two national championships uh, to, 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 to show the difference here between the two. And you are, you've chosen now to speak out. Why? Well, Steve, last year during NCAA championships, um, we, about three weeks before our championships, the NCAA said Thomas would in fact be competing with the females. If you're looking at this on paper, exactly like you said, this is someone who was ranked 462nd in the men's category the year before and now ranked first, beating out Olympians and American record holders and the most impressive female swimmers of all time. Um, so we of course knew that was wrong, but that first day, we all sat on the side of the pool and watched Thomas swim to a national title, again, beating everyone by seconds, which seconds in swimming is a lot. Um, so mm -hmm. that next day, Thomas and I raced each other in the 200-yard freestyle, to which almost impossibly enough ended up in a tie. And upon tying, we went behind the awards podium where the NCAA official would hand out the trophies. Um, and this official looked at me and Leah and said, great job. You guys tied. Um, we don't really account for ties. So Leah gets the trophy. Riley, you go home empty handed. And so I question him and I say, okay, why are you adamant on giving this trophy to Leah? To which he, of course, wasn't prepared to be questioned. And he said, well, for photo purposes, Leah has to have the trophy. And so it kind of hit me. Um, of course, I knew what was happening was wrong in terms of unfair competition. And of course, I knew being forced to undress in front of a biological male who's still fully intact with male genitalia was wrong. But when he told me that Leah had to have the trophy for pictures, it just felt like everything I had dedicated my entire life to was reduced to a photo op to validate the feelings and the identity of a male. You're younger than me, obviously. I've got, I've got, I've got a daughter about your age, and so you have not yet had to be. Although, based on what you just told me, or sadly, as a generation heading down this road, you don't. You're not necessarily as beat up and cynical being exposed to this system 
as I am. So people my generation or older know the answer to this question because they've had to live through it longer. For you and your generation, this is really your first exposure to this moment, okay? How come there wasn't mass outrage amongst parents and things of that nature? And did you as women, young women, did you ask yourselves, where are the dads? Where's, you know, how come, how come nobody's speaking out about this while this was going on? Was it a surreal experience, almost like, is this actually happening? Can you, can you tell us about that, Riley? Yes, of course. Um, I can tell you just from talking amongst ourselves, I can tell you how 95% of the people on that pool deck felt. 95% of the female athletes who were directly experiencing this injustice, I can tell you how they felt. And it's the exact same way that I feel and the way I'm speaking about this. Um, in terms of describing the experience, I can't even explain to you how, I mean, almost subconsciously uncomfortable it is when you're in the locker room and you turn around and there's a six foot four biological man undressing while you're undressing and you were not forewarned of this arrangement. You had no idea this was going to be um, the arrangement that you would be forced into. It just felt like not even a year ago, two years ago, maybe this would have been some form of sexual harassment. This mm -hmm. would have been indecent exposure. This would have been voyeurism. But now not only is it just happening, the NCAA and other, of course, larger woke organizations, they're encouraging this. They're celebrating this because like you mentioned, I was nominated for NCAA Woman of the Year. Um, and I was, I was so thrilled when I found out I was nominated. But when the NCAA lists the full list of nominees, so was Leah Thomas, who of course is the biological male. So this didn't just happen on a one-off basis. They're pushing this, they're celebrating this. And this is something we're seeing in aspects of life far beyond sports. Look at what's happening in prisons. Look at what's happening at YMCA's and Planet Fitnesses and look at what's happening within the education system. I just feel like, like you said, I'm young, I'm 22, but I, I feel like either I've been naive my whole life or this has been sprung upon us and being totally pushed down our throats. And there's no, there's no open dialogue about it. Um, in regards to the suppression and the silencing that these athletes are dealing with, it is mind blowing. So not only is this an issue of fairness in our sports, this is an issue of freedom of speech. Leah Thomas's teammates who I talk with at great lengths um, they tell me that they every week had to go to LGBTQ education were uncomfortable about the locker room situation, and they sent an email to their university. Their university responded by saying, if you feel uncomfortable seeing male genitalia in the locker room, here are some counseling resources that you should seek. And so these girls are terrified to put their name in their face to this issue because they're thought to be wrong for feeling the way they do. Riley, you may be a lot of things. You're not naive. You're betrayed. You, you, yes. you, you, my daughter, my oldest daughter just turned 22 last week. You were promised a, a legacy as, as a, as a free adult in America. You were, you were, you were promised certain assumptions that are passed down generationally. You were, you were told growing up, if you did the right thing and made the right choices and worked hard, these legacies would, would, you would inherit them. No, you're not naive, Riley. You and your generation, you have been betrayed. Where, I'm, where are the feminists? I know. Where, where are the, now where you are have the feminists to... women are just profession are just erased from the 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 elite sectors of society. And now now we're going to say men are better women than women. Where are they? 
Well, I can tell you where Billie Jean King is. And of course, Billie Jean King was this trailblazer for women's sports. Billie Jean King is now fighting for trans inclusion in women's sports. And I can tell you where Megan Rapinoe is, who, who was another phenomenal female athlete who fought for equal resources and equal access and equal pay, um, especially when it came to women's soccer. She's now fighting for um, trans inclusion in women's sports. And so the hypocrisy and the double standard and, and the irony of these women who fought so hard to celebrate women on their unique capabilities, their own unique physical ceilings are now doing a 180, a total 180. And not even that long ago was Title IX created, implemented mm -hmm. 50 years ago. So this is in some people's lifetime that they're seeing women's sports, um, the benefits of women's sports, but now they're also seeing that being taken away and men infiltrating back into women's sports and in women's changing spaces. You are trying to do something about it. Tell us more about that. So I dedicated myself when this first happened. Um, I'm actually supposed to be in dental school right now. And so I've, I've totally changed the trajectory of my life because I realized how important this is, not just for myself, but for the future generation of female athletes. Um, I just got married and I can only hope to one day welcome a daughter into this world. And I can't imagine my daughter not having the same opportunities and sports that I had and those being taken away by men. And so I'm fighting this at both the state and federal level. Um, I have been to numerous different states to advocate on or testify in support of fairness in women's sports bills. Um, there have been 18 states thus far that have passed this bill um, and with lots more in the process. And so that's fantastic news. Of course, I'm hoping for all 50 states to get this bill passed. Um, and then in regards to the federal level, I was involved in the filing of the Stubby bill just a couple weeks ago, which essentially upholds Title IX for what Title IX was created to protect. Um, the Biden administration is actively working to rewrite Title IX to where sex now equates to gender identity, which this would affect more than just sports. This would mean that men could um, live in a dorm room with women and women would have no say. This would mean that if I misgender someone, let's say Leah Thomas, if I call Leah Thomas a he, that would be sexual harassment, but not Leah Thomas with male parts undressing in our locker room. That's not sexual harassment, but misgendering is. And so I'm fighting to uphold Title IX at the federal level as well. Hey, Steve, do you mind if I say something? Absolutely, Todd, go ahead. Riley, go ahead. Th this is Todd and. Listen, I just want you to know, uh, on behalf of another dad with a D1 athlete, how damn proud I am of you. Listen, when I had this talk with my daughter, I said, you know, it, it's going to be hard. They're going to call you names. I'm not going to make you do this, but God has given you certain gifts, and you may want to think getting in this fight. And uh, I, I knew I wanted to say something to you personally after what you just did. God knows they're calling you names, but your fearlessness it, it, you're doing it uh, winsomely. You're doing it with kindness. But you naming names, the gi the Giants, Billie Jean King, Megan Rapino, absolutely. You keep doing that. You pull no punches. And this show, and I know Steve will agree with me, we have your back. As far as you go with this, we will never leave you alone on this. This war must be fought. It must be won. And you got way more courage than most men and women who claim to believe what we believe. And I know you've also spoken about this, but they just keep hiding. Thank you for going to war on behalf of my daughter and all the girls out there. Thank you.
Well, I just can't even tell you how much that means to me. And of course, that's why I'm doing this. And your daughter is an inspiration. She did take a stance on this. And not only is she just a D1 athlete of one sport, she plays two sports. And so she's incredible. And she's someone who inspires me. Um, But I, I can't even tell you how much that means to me. So thank you so, so much. You bet. Riley, how can we keep up with you? How can we support your efforts? Yeah, so my Twitter is Riley underscore Gaines underscore. Um, I try to post breaking stories of this so people don't fall into believing the narrative that this is a non-issue because that could not be farther from the truth. Um, This is happening. There's, I mean, at the collegiate level, of course, elementary school, high school, middle school, it's happening in senior sports. It's happening in in women's golf. Um, I talked to a 65-year-old the other day who's competing against a male in golf. So it's happening at an alarming rate across all sports, across all ages. And so I try to post things, post breaking stories so people can follow along that way. Um, I'm now working with the Independent Women's Forum. Um, So if you go to www.iwf.org, that's a great way to seek resources and follow along in that aspect. They do a great job of continuing to give me a platform as well. Just want to echo everything Todd said. I couldn't say it better. And it's, you know, it's also personal where he is concerned because you are blazing a trail for people like his daughter as well with that courage of conviction, Riley. Um, Well done. Good and faithful servant. Keep it up and let us know what we can do to help. Okay. Of course. Of course. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to continue shedding light on this issue. You bet. God bless you. Thank you, Riley. Thank you. Gentlemen, your thoughts on that conversation and really our opening hour overall. It seems like our culture is bound and determined to see how far and for how long you can push the limits of the natural law without that rubber band breaking or the natural law breaking. We are talking all about Ukraine, putting money in the pockets of likely random Ukrainians just so they have some walking around money. Cool while East Palestine, Ohio, has terrible air and soil and water quality. We are going to say to women, hey, if you think that undressing around a six-foot-four dude while he undresses and shows his fully formed genitalia, if you think that is wrong, you're the person with mental illness. We're going to call, uh, we're going to reduce women as well. That, the video of the two homos uh, on TikTok with the, we're just going to reduce women down to egg donors. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. Everything is upside down. We are bound and determined seemingly to deter, to see how far this rubber band can snap or twist without snapping, which is why if you didn't watch, if you didn't watch Feedback Friday on Friday, the letter you read, Steve, from the gentleman in Idaho. Mm-hmm. It's out on all of our social media platforms now. You need to go and watch that. I'll tell you, I watched it another two times this weekend just for some encouragement. How do you defeat this? You do like Riley did. First thing first, she got out of the shadows. She spoke up, put her name on it, just like those people in Idaho did. Mm-hmm. You defeat this by giving it no oxygen. It's not going to be defeated by staying in the shadows and being afraid. First st- first thing is first. You can't be afraid of being called names because they will call you names. But at the end of the day, that's all they got. 
We'll come back, hour two, ask me anything, and then we'll talk to an eyewitness to what's going on at Asbury College. That and more next hour. TV, radio, and podcast. I am about an hour outside of D.C., somewhere like halfway between D.C. and West Virginia. I want to say it's Brunswick, Maryland, maybe. I know where they filmed the Blair Witch Project's about 20 miles from here. <laughs> so we passed it on the way over here uh, yesterday. Uh, I'm going to be uh, on the Tim Pool Timcast tonight on YouTube, beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So make sure you tune into that. Looking forward to that conversation. So that's why I am here on remote location from my hotel room. Todd and Aaron are back there within the posh, comfy confines of our new, still uh, relatively new Blaze TV studios that they kindly constructed for us last fall. You can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Email the show, Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Day Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok as well. And then you can find me on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. And don't forget, if you're a podcast listener, you can show us how much you appreciate the program. Leave us a five-star review. Hit subscribe or follow. Thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. We appreciate each and every one of them as well as each and every one of you. So thank you very much. This part of the show brought to you by our friends over at Jace Medical. A lot of people saber-rattling about war with China because apparently they want their social credit score and system to be in Chinese instead of English because that's really the only thing a war with China would determine is which language the social credit score would be written in. But did you know, before you go ahead and decide to declare war on China, they have about 80% of our antibiotic supply because, you know, the, the people right now claiming to be so tough on China were the ones who thought it was a great idea to let China make our medicine for us. That's a great plan. Well, that's our plan right now. You need a different plan. That's why you need a plan right now on going to Jace Medical. J as in don't hesitate. Jump at this right this minute. J-A-S-E for jacemedical.com. J-A-S-E for jacemedical.com. Get the Jace case. Five venerable antibiotics, including amoxicillin which we have a shortage of right now as we speak in the country. But you can bypass that shortage courtesy of our friends over at jacemedical.com via the Jace case. Use the promo code DACE right now to get $10 off. Promo code DACE to get $10 off at checkout when you go to jacemedical.com. jacemedical.com, promo code DACE for $10 off. All right, it is time. At the bottom of this hour, we will, de- we will delve into the Asbury Revival with an eyewitness, someone who's attended it, will join us at the bottom uh, of this hour. But until then, it is your turn and time to ask me anything, courtesy of Facebook. These are questions that Todd has curated and determined. I've not seen any of them at all, so I will see them for the first time when they show up on the screen, courtesy of Aaron. And Aaron, you may fire when ready. 
This is a five-star review question we will begin with. I almost skipped it because I'm not really sure, exactly sure what FRAG 316 is referring to other than the Friday, February 3rd show, but I'm going to read it for you anyway, anyway here. Uh, your Friday show had an edge to it that I think conflicts with your claims to Christian witness and ministry. The quote-unquote best letter is from a guy who quote-unquote doesn't like people, and you basically throw anyone overboard who doesn't fight the fight exactly the way you do. The fight is an idol you're building. I just, I don't agree with like a single word of that. Um, Still gave I us would, a five-star review, though. I mean, which I appreciate, though. I appreciate that. I I do agree that you can turn fighting the culture war into an idol for sure. I completely agree with that. Um, I, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I would actually make the argument that letting go of my nostalgic patriotism from an era that doesn't uh, exist anymore is an example of not uh, holding on to an idol. Um, I'm not interested in saving America, guys. I, I, I think we need to defeat it. Uh, America is just did, is who did what you just watched Riley Gaines talking about. America is who made Riley Gaines give up the award she earned so that a guy could have it. America made Riley Gaines get and, and her classmates get dressed in a locker room with a, a guy with hairy nut sacks. America did that to her. Putin didn't do that to her. China didn't do that to her. North Korea didn't do that to her. By the way, none of these are great places. I'm not looking to relocate there anytime soon. But America did that to her. So... I would actually argue my willingness to let go of my nostalgic biases uh, on a generational level. You know, I'm a child of the 80s. I'm a we're America bitch child of the 80s. I would actually argue that's an example of not being idolatrous, a willingness to reassess my own um, priorities, uh, my own metrics, my own frameworks, uh, the application of my worldview. I would argue that that is an example of not being idolatrous. If you have something specific, Frag, that you want to ask me about, having an edge isn't specific. I don't know. Calling people whitewashed tombs and broods of vipers to their faces, kind of an edge. Telling the, the Jews to go into Canaan and slaughter everything that existed, including the livestock, kind of edgy. So uh, just having an edge is not some example of idolatrous behavior. Idolatrous behavior if, if, is if the wrong thing is, is giving you that kind of an edge. So you ever want to come back at me with something specific, by all means, I will entertain it. But the current uh, note you wrote, I just don't agree with any of it. But I, I do thank you for the five-star review. Well, yeah, that's why I found this interesting. And I wanted to take it at face value. There was a little bit more to the letter that made me seem that this was legitimately a fan and not just a troll. But I, I do enjoy the fact that, assuming he regularly watches us, takes us in on a regular basis, and still is writing it, it has this ring to uh, the, the, the uh, Israelites wandering in the desert, and just knowing they were just delivered from God himself, they believe in the truth, but they're frustrated that it's making them uncomfortable all the time, and they just don't want to be uncomfortable. And we keep asking people to get there, and some of them still don't like it, obviously. And by the way, that, that's a good point. So let me let me use that as a launching off point to say this. By all means, man, we need to be checking each other on idolatry all of yeah. the time. So I'm not offended by about asking me the question at all. I think we, you know we need to we need to be asking those sorts of questions of one another all the time. I think that's 
some of you that have expressed skepticism about what's going on in Asbury, I think comes from a similar concern. And I don't think there's anything wrong with those things at all. The truth is its own reward. There's no problem in discerning the spirits, testing the spirits, asking questions. I just think if you want me to address something that you're concerned about there, Frag, I just think you just need to be more specific. We will move on to Facebook submitted questions. First from Stephanie Metcalf Hayes. Interesting question. How do I reply to someone that asks why a company, Pfizer, would want to kill off their customers? You're not their customer. Government is. Cha-ching. You're not the customer. You guys aren't buying this stuff. Governments are. And seven, a 7% 7 loss, which is about the rate of serious adverse event, uh, a 7% loss, uh, you know, let's look at our own country, you know? Less than 15% of American adults didn't take any gene juice, less than 15%. So the other 85% of American adults did. 7% serious adverse event, including death, that's an acceptable ratio when there's no accountability at all. You bet it is. And beyond that 7%. Hell, probably, hell, probably twice that much is. 15% probably is. If there's no accountability at all, sure. So you and I aren't the customers. You and I are customers of, of things like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin that you could have purchased directly, that they didn't. See, the stuff that would have made you a customer, they took away. Yep. The stuff you had to go to government to get, that's the stuff they'll let you have. You're not the customer, government is. And re remember, death doesn't work out so well for them, but all that chronic illness, that keeps you coming back for more. Absolutely, it does. Yep. Can I get on this too? I, silly goose. You keep asking questions, Stephanie, uh, God bless you, keep asking questions as if we're human beings created in the image of God. No, silly goose, you're just a taxing unit on a tax farm in the North American economic zone. Okay, that's how these people look at you. Moving on, Cindy Fisicaro Weatherford says, since most physicians have to preach the mantra in order to keep their practice, who do you go to for a second opinion? How does one find an honest, unbiased, trustworthy doctor? I think this is a great question, and it's one of the absolute sneaky yet essential, pivotal challenges we have right now. Um, uh, we can argue, going back to Frag's email at the beginning, or his question at the beginning, we can all argue about method of fight, when to fight, what to fight for, who to fight with and against. You ain't alive or healthy to do those things because it kind of becomes a moot point at that point, you know? And so who is disassociated from the Borg in general? Now I'm, what I'm about to say are not prophecies. Okay. Um, they're general prints or, or, or promises. They're general principles, you know, like the book of Proverbs. Now, not, not everything. It's not a hundred percent in life. We live in a fallen world. It is not 100% in life that if you do everything the book of Proverbs says for 30 some odd chapters, you'll avoid major calamity in life. You won't. I mean, we live in a sinful world. You're still going to, your flesh at the very least will still expire at some point. In general, however, if you were to live by that as an honor code, you would avoid a lot of the stupid things that people do to self-induce um, the calamities of this world uh, upon themselves and others. Okay. So that, so uh, when I say look for things called integrative health, that doesn't mean where you live, the integrative health people don't suck. All right. 
there's going to be a fallen evidence of a systemic fallen world. But in general, those are places where they're where they're they're probably going to be more open to following actual science and 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 practicing healthcare instead of corporatist fascist fascistic sick care in general. Look for those places. When we've had groups like uh, the Wellness Company, you know, when you're talking about Harvey Rich and, and Peter McCullough guys, you're talking about two of the most decorated clinicians slash medical academics this country has ever produced. Like not in this era, like ever, like ever, like in the history of the Republic. All right. So go to TWC.health. Um, my good buddy, Molly James. OK, JamesClinic.com. Uh, what's another one? Um, Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance, FLCC, FLCCC, three Cs, FLCCC.net. So those are just a few places. Again, TWC.health, JamesClinic.com, FLCCC.net, uh, integrative health, family health places in your community. Those are places to at least begin looking for folks that want to treat you like a human and a patient again. And Steve, I get a lot of questions. Trust me, folks, if I could, as a side hustle, I, I would be making this list for you. With with Obamacare especially, you, you, if you want these doctors to stay around, this has to be word of mouth. If they get put on a list, it's endgame time for them. They, yes. The system is coming for them. We can't put together a list. Like it said, it took the gravitas of the two doctors Steve mentioned and just the flat out balls of molly james to put themselves out there there's a hit on these doctors we can't make a list let me say this right now everyone within the sound of my voice please listen to me and this is again coming from guys i i <laughs> i used to go out as a kid and get alex p keaton monogrammed sweaters with my own initials of course all right i mean other than, you know, classic sports, I watched Reagan speeches, in the, you know, for fun in the summer. I am, I am the ugly American where America bitch child of the 80s. I am, that's, that is, that is the ecosystem from which, from whence I came. That's, that's where, how I was birthed. So when I say what I'm about to say, understand what needed to occur for me to witness to even contemplate saying something like what I'm about to say. This country is not our friend. It, it's not as bad of an enemy as many other countries are, not because a shred or scintilla of our actual belief system is still embedded in terms of how it govern itself, governs itself, but more so because there's enough pockets of resistance. You uh, deplorable MAGAs, a few isolated governors like here where I, in Iowa, I'm not there today, but where I live in Iowa, if you live in Florida, a few other places. And mainly because they just know they can't roll you over because you own at least 300 million guns. That's it. I mean, the only reason you're not living under a social credit score right now and having your sermons checked by the state is you own 300 million guns. That's the, it has nothing to do with any legacy or respect of the rule of law or tradition. None of those things. Nothing. You just, we have to begin with that assumption. You're, you're not an American. You're a dissident. The calls are coming from inside the house. There's nothing special or exceptional about a country that does what it did to that 
beautifully talented young woman, Riley Gaines, we just talked to. We represent the values of this that this country was founded on in spite of this country, folks. There is no, oh, wow, we just forgot. Thank you for your eloquent uh, appeal. No, you're going to have to take it. Raw exercise of power. That's it. Otherwise, it will all be taken from you as it is being taken now. Now, as Christians, and this show is a biblical worldview show, we are called to exercise meekness, power under control. So when we see peaceable but aggressive events like the one in Idaho we highlighted on Friday, we're about that. And then ultimately, let's all pray that what's going on at Asbury is sincere, because ultimately the greatest weapon, the greatest confrontation that can ever take place is individuals in the image of God confronted by their sinfulness, by their maker, who then offers them atonement and grace at the same time. I, I read a story today about, and I've got it up on my socials, uh, of several eyewitness testimonies about Asbury and a lot of weeping. I will tell you, I, I, I made up my mind when I left Dave Dace's home, I cried enough. I'm not crying anymore. I've wept enough. I'm not weeping anymore. I'm never showing that kind of weakness ever again. 30 years ago this September, that Promise Keepers in Kansas City where my life was changed, I will tell you this, I spent hours weeping. I wept the whole weekend. Years and years and years of tears. Just like a purge. Now that's a confrontation too. And that's the most potent and powerful one that can occur. But it is by confrontation alone, preferably the one that I just discussed, the one that comes from revival. It is by confrontation alone that this will be an exceptional country again, because it's not. It's just another country that doesn't quite go as far as doing to you what it would like to do because you own a bunch of guns and you can fire back at it. That's it. We need to come to grips with this. Because the longer we cling to the idol of that nostalgia, the more, the more we will betray this next generation, like Riley Gaines and women like her have learned. She told me, I'm naive. I told her, no, you're not naive. You were betrayed. It wasn't wrong for you to assume your parents and grandparents were going to do what was called of them to hand you the legacy that was handed to them. There was nothing naive about assuming they would do what they were supposed to do. They didn't. We didn't. So you've been betrayed, Riley. You're not naive at all. You're fighting a fight that you shouldn't be fighting. You're getting married. You should be thinking about, or you just got married, having a family. It should be these two generations that we didn't do our jobs. Yep. You should be in the family rearing business right now, not the culture war business. You're here because we fell asleep. We drank the nostalgia. She's putting aside just got lazy. She's putting aside her dental school career to fight this fight. Well, everybody else can't even be bothered. Steve, this is a crucial point you just made. No, I've got an hourly job that I hate that might fire me if I say something. Yeah, exactly. What, what could I ever do, Todd? Exactly. Come on. A word about our friends at Patriot Mobile. 
Thanks to your support, they have emerged as one of the leaders in the parallel economy, and they've got big news right now. They can offer you all three of the major network carriers right now, all three. So if you, I mean, we've been telling you for years with Patriot Mobile, pretty much everybody has the exact same network. But, you know, there's 5 to 10% difference depending on pockets of the country where you live, and you may be living in a place. I mean, I, there's a U.S. Cellular, for example. For whatever reason, there's like three blocks in my suburb that it just doesn't work. All right. Has a great network everywhere else. Right. So you may think I'm living in one of those places. I want to switch towers. They can help you do that and do more with their outstanding customer service team at Patriot Mobile. Help you make the switch to Patriot Mobile as well. So you don't have to directly fund the people that hate you anymore. All right. Go to uh, PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Steve, or call them at 878-PATRIOT. That's 878-PATRIOT. Get a free activation today when you do those two things, or one of those two things. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve, or 878-PATRIOT. We'll go on to Rebecca. Rebecca Ritgers-Miller says, My husband and I recently became Republican Party committee men for our county in an attempt to help elect more conservative candidates. Our county endorses candidates for the primary as well as general election. I've found the process to be rife with cronyism and infighting. It's seemingly all about who knows whom and how much they've donated to the party. Is there a good case for primary endorsements, or should we let the voters choose and save the fight for the general election? We're in a swing state, Pennsylvania, if that makes a difference. I think you, uh, they, they, they're on the committee, the central committee there. That's what it sounds like. Yep. That's what they said. Yes. Wield, wield all that power. Wield it all. Ruthlessly, but with integrity. Now, they're going to define it ruthless because you're going to disavow the cronyism. You're going to disavow the, the country club, and you're just going to pick the best candidates and support them. That's what I mean by ruthlessly. I don't care. I don't care what happened in 1995. I don't care what happened in 2015. This is about the now, and he sucks, and he's good. She's terrible. She's phenomenal. Don't you dare, and I say this to everyone again within the sound of my voice, do you not dare acquire power and not wield it. Wield the power. Wield it. Wield the power. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. Rule, rule, rule. Wield the power. Don't you dare beat that sword into a plowshare. There's no higher principle there. You represent the king of the universe, whom said to his, his disciples before he was ascended, all power, all has been given unto me under heaven and to earth. All of it has. Wield the power. Don't you dare lay it down. Wield it ruthlessly, but with integrity, wield it. Next, we go to Linda Marshall, who asks this question. Many actors have immersed themselves so deep into their roles that they had difficulty coming out of them. Linda Blair had difficulties after The Exorcist. Heath Ledger died shortly after playing the Joker. Having worked with Sean Patrick Flannery and seeing how intense his performance is, do you believe he has what it takes to survive mentally and spiritually from portraying Nefarious, or could he too become a, no a notch on the real Lord Nefarious's victory belt? These are, that's a, a few of you have emailed this to me as well. And 
You know, Linda Blair was, I think, what, 11, 12, 13 years old when the ex, she wasn't much older than Reagan is portrayed in the film when that movie was made. Uh, Heath Ledger had already had some demons. Um, in Sean's case, he is about Todd and I's age. He's a Gen Xer. Uh, he's very grounded um, with a, a great family. Um, and remember, he stepped away from Hollywood for uh, for a long time. Uh, right as his star was ascending, he kind of stepped away and got his stuff together and his house in order. So I think that he does have, both in terms of worldview and maturity and, and anchoring, he has advantages that those two did not. The other, the other two advantages he had is, I mean, our we literally man had an exorcist, like a, a serious exorcist, on set every day. We we took the spiritual warfare associated with what we were making extremely seriously, and and we have all the way here through the post-production process as well. So thank you for that note. Um, you know, I know Sean's a Blaze fan. You may even end up finding out that you sent it to him. Um, I've stayed in somewhat con re regular contact with him uh, over the last year. Uh, he finally got to see the movie. Um, our two directors, Carrie and Chuck, went down to Houston, uh, down in his neck of the woods, rented a theater, and uh, let him see it for the first time in a theatrical experience where he got to bring all his friends and family that could make it. They, th There wasn't an empty seat, I'm told. And Sean was so overwhelmed by the strength and power of the film that he wept when it was over. So thank you very much for caring enough to send a note like that, because you're right, you know, um, those things... Um, you don't walk away unimpacted. You're correct. So thank you for that note. Uh, we'll uh, wrap up maybe with this one. I think segueing nice into the uh, nicely into the next conversation. Preston James Maloney says, "Help me understand why I need Christ's redemption. If my child makes a mistake, he or she doesn't lose their privilege of my presence or help." And in every non-lethal way, I want to face—I want them to face the consequences of their choices, rather than pay the, for them myself, so they could be made clean. The way I see it, if we are truly eternal beings and able to continually progress, I don't understand the need for God to redeem me. I see sin the same as I see any error. It all leads to mistakes that help us learn and progress. Love the show and your fearless integrity. Thank you, Preston. Aaron, can you leave that question up on the screen for me? Yeah. Okay. Me, one. I, two. Um, my, three. Uh, my, four. I, five. Um, myself, six. I, seven. Um, I, I, eight. eight. Yeah. I, nine. Um, uh, okay. Do I count nine first-person pronouns yeah, there? Yeah, there's nine or ten. Okay. That's your problem, Preston. That's why you don't understand. And I didn't either. Okay, I I didn't either. I I had I I made points and asked questions like you did for a long time, and it starts with this answer: God is God, and you and I are not starts with that. It doesn't have to make sense to you. Who's Preston? Who the hell are you, dude? Who's Steve? Who the hell are who the hell is anybody within the sound of my voice? Why, why does it have to make sense to you? 
Who are you? Why do you have a claim? You sinless? You've never done anything wrong? You're the arbiter here. You get to be the judge? When we have vote Preston or vote Steve or vote Todd or vote Aaron Judge Day. And if we learn from our mistakes so well, how in the hell did Leah Thomas end in the pool? Exactly. It's not, and that's the thing. We, we're sinners, and so we both, A, project ourselves under God's character, and then B, diminish his character down to ourselves. We can't possibly understand because we're sinners. He's not. And so because he's not and we are, that's why. That's why he gets to determine what is a transgression. And that's also why he's the only being that is capable of fulfilling his justifiable wrath. Because he is both without transgression on one end and without transgression on the other. All we are is transgressors. That's all we are. That's why it doesn't make sense to us. Because that's all we are. Because we're down here. He's up here. And that's starting with Christmas. That's what God did. When we couldn't get up here, he came down here. But not by us dragging him down to us. But his willingness to lower himself on our behalf. That's the difference. That's what you don't get. Is... is on one hand, you're correct. Your son can repay the debt he owes you because neither one of you are perfect. Neither one of you are blameless. You've made mistakes raising your child. He's made mistakes being your child. God hasn't made any mistakes. God didn't commit any sins. And so therefore, we're incapable of fully understanding and then fully repaying him the debt that we owe him. And since he's the one that is owed the debt, ultimately... He gets to determine what that debt is and what satisfactory payment for it is. And then, because we couldn't meet that satisfactory payment, he took it upon himself. But you have to start with, God is God, I'm not. So it's not about what I understand, it's about what's true. More in a moment. Very proud of the partnership that we have forged here at The Blaze with the ministry at Preborn and proud of our own opportunity to be involved in it. And I'll just speak for myself as a kid born to a 15-year-old mom at the dawn, at the advent of Roe v. Wade, who uh, considered whether to have me aborted or not. Uh, I'll just, I'll tell you what I love about what Preborn does. And the work they do uh, peaceably, but it is confrontation, uh, confronting moms with the heartbeat of their of the baby that they're carrying so that they know that's a separate being and it, it does prick the conscience. And it's why over about 80% of the time when a woman is confronted with that knowledge, she won't go through with the, with the killing of her child. I love that they do that, but the other people do that too. What I love that preborn does is they understand you have to love them both. And it's, it's the added touch, the counseling, the pre and postnatal care they provide, uh, even car seats, strollers, etc. cetera. And, and because, Hey, it, it's, it was great that my mom chose life, folks, but it wasn't easy being a 15-year-old mom, a 16-year-old mom, a 17-year-old mom. 
All right. I mean, I, I was in the fifth grade. My mom was 25 years old. Okay. So it, that, that was not easy. Okay. And so that support structure is why we support preborn and they need us though. They need support from people like us to make that free of charge to both the mom and the baby. And if you want to be a part of that support structure, just dial pound 250 on your mobile phone, say the keyword baby, pound 250 on your mobile phone, say the keyword baby, or you can go to preborn.com slash Steve. Once again, that is preborn.com slash Steve. Well, this has now begun in the last week to make national news. The revival at Asbury College in Kentucky. Michael Aper is a student at Asbury College. He joins us now here today on the Steve Day Show. Michael, first and foremost, it's an honor that you took time out of your schedule, brother, to join us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Steve. I appreciate your time. So, Michael, I, I, I really think the best thing is for the audience to just hear open-ended what you have to say. Who are you? What's your background? And what have you seen that is taking place right now at Asbury? Yeah. Well, I want to clarify a little bit. My So, yes, my name is Michael Aper. I am actually a student at Asbury Theological Seminary, which is the sister institution to Asbury University. We're right across the street from each other, so what happens to one happens to the other. I began a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies this past fall. My wife and I moved here from Phoenix, Arizona, so it's been a big change for us in a lot of ways. But on February 8th, basically what take took place at the university was a chapel service, which was scheduled as usual. And after the scheduled time, students continued to worship. And it was a, a small remnant, maybe 15 to 20 students. And after an hour or two, one of the students got up and started confessing sins in his life and repenting of those sins and asking for prayer. And this just took off. It continued for not just hours, but now days, we've been going 12 days straight of continuous repentance, prayer, exhortation, uh, preaching, worship, and deliverances from both physical and spiritual affirmities. It's been a pretty remarkable thing to experience. And of course, as you know, it's grown from just being 15 to 20 students in the chapel service on Wednesday morning to now we have thousands upon thousands of people flocking to Wilmore, Kentucky, which is a small two-stoplight town that does not have the infrastructure necessary to host that many people. And yet, I can definitely attest to the, the power of the Holy Spirit working through the administrators and the leadership that are taking place here. I've had the privilege of working as both an employee as a, like a student worker capacity as well as a volunteer to help with prayer, as well as greeting, and a lot of the, the logistical concerns that happen behind the scenes with hosting thousands upon thousands of people. It's not just in one chapel here anymore. It's being live streamed into three or four, sometimes five or six overflow spaces to accommodate mm -hmm. the number of people that have come from both out of state and out of country to worship together. Believers across the country who are skeptical, because yeah. I mean, let, let, let's face it, Michael, we have we have fallen for the banana in the tailpipe in the church quite a bit in the last few decades, right? So on one hand, on, on, yeah, I mean, on one hand, on this show, I, I have preached a message of revival or bust on this program for over a decade. That's ultimately where this thing is headed. On the other hand, there is a is it, it almost seems as if revival is so unattainable 
that when you start hearing of it, you're like, it, it just can't be. It just can't be, right? You understand that tension. What would you say to people around the country who want it to be true, but just are having a hard time believing given the condition of things that it is? Yeah, particularly in my circumstances as a graduate student studying theology and biblical studies, it was something that I was very skeptical of initially. When I went into the chapel, I ended up going on Thursday afternoon after it began on Wednesday. And my experience was that I tried to keep an open mind, although I was skeptical. It's easy to be critical as someone who studies the church, to be critical of the church. And my experience was the humility of the administrators. And even since then, now that it's grown into something gigantic, what I've experienced is that the humility of the administrators, the leaders of the schools and the institution have stepped back in humility. They've allowed the students to remain the focal point and the leadership of the worship services. We've even had, as the institution, we've had big names of worship leaders and uh, you know, people from K-Love, big preachers from across the United States offer to come and preach, offer to come and lead worship. And the administration has said humbly, no, thank you. That's not what this is about. We're not providing a platform for others or for people. We are providing an altar to the holy God. And the worship of that will be the focal point. And it has been that. And although some people are not always coming for the right reasons necessarily, we talk about uh, a lot around here, there's this idea that motivations are variable, of course, when you have thousands upon thousands of people. And mm -hmm. yet, I think we've got lots of evidence in Scripture that thousands of people that flocked to hear Jesus preach certainly did not come for the right intentions. And yet, the Holy Spirit was working and moving in those people. We think of Pentecost. People were coming to salvation and asking Peter, now what? What do we do? And that's, I think, the next step out of this is saying, Repent and believe, be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and go and do likewise into the nations. And I think in the coming time for this revival, if we want to call it that, will be a time of sending. Hmm. At the very beginning, you said the word repentance. I've seen some people say, "Are we? Are, is, is repentance being taught? Is it being spoken of? Are we just affirming people in their in their current place with God talk? Can you speak further to that? Yeah, that's an important aspect because the biggest criticism that I've heard about what's taking place here is that people are coming for an experience. Mm -hmm. And while that may be the case, and there may be individuals who want to make a show out of out of experiential worship in a certain way, from the very beginning, what took place as it became a little bit more organized rather than just a couple students hanging out, there were sections where for an hour or two, a worship set would play and, and we would sing and worship together. And then they would transition to maybe one of the administrators taking the mic and saying, if any student would like to testify to God's goodness, they can do that now. And, and that same sort of orientation was made towards repentance where my first experience being there either Thursday or Friday night at the beginning was that one of the students unprompted went to the mic and confessed a 11 year addiction to pornography that he was 
asking for forgiveness from and calling himself to repentance and calling others who might also struggle with that issue to repentance as well. And as you imagine, in a room full of hundreds upon hundreds of college students, that's a very hot topic that a lot of Christians like to sweep under the rug or else turn it into something that it's not. But what I was able to witness myself was an opportunity to pray over guys and girls alike who are coming to a place of sorrow and repentance, asking Christ for forgiveness and committing themselves to a life of holiness aside from that thing. Wow. How were you impacted, Michael, by what you saw? I mean, it's a lot of the conversations surrounding us here at the seminary and at the university is people will ask, what is happening? Or what is it like? And the only response I think that we can have is, I don't know. It's hard to tell. <laughs> I'm confident that the Holy Spirit and the work of the Lord is stirring in the people of God. You know, I'll quote my wife here. She said something profound that I really admired. And she said, before COVID, a lot of Christians in North America went to church and replaced God with church. And then COVID happened and people stopped going to church. And now God is calling his people back to himself not just to the church, but to himself. And I think my experience in this has been a, a renewed feeling of hope for the church, hope for not just the North American institution of going to a church building, but to the living God alive and well in his people that can care for the nations for international perspectives, not just America, because we, we have a tendency to look in the scope of our own perspective. But I truly believe that there's a resurgency of what God is calling his faithful people to do throughout the world. And I'm excited for what that means. I'm terrified. It's, it's exciting. It's nerve wracking. And it comes with a promise that it won't be easy as well. We've been promised through scripture numerous times um, in this life, you will have trouble, Jesus says. And even we see the evidence of that in Acts chapter 2. We have Pentecost in Acts chapter 3 and 4 is when Peter and John are arrested for proclaiming the gospel. So with the great victory comes great resistance as well. And I think that's something we can, we can anticipate. Michael, thank you for joining us and uh, offering, reaching out to us to get a first person perspective and let our audience hear someone's eyewitness testimony and uh, really appreciate it, brother. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Steve. Take care. You bet. Gentlemen, I wanted us to make sure we had a few minutes to discuss that here on the tail end of the program. So I want to get your reactions to what we just heard from Michael Aper. Uh, Aaron and I were talking a little uh, before the show and he asked, you know, from a Catholic perspective, how does this ring true? Listen, we, from the very beginning, we've had uh, mystics, uh, St. Anthony uh, the Hermit. We have Marian apparitions. I mean, it, 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 if, even if you're Protestant, a lot of you tune in to see the Pope pick, the black of the white sp smoke, uh, uh, and what Catholics believe, you know, in terms of the Holy Spirit communing, who's going to be the next uh, leader of the church. Uh, I, I, I think in speaking, uh, in listening to Michael talk, the, the commonality uh, of uh, of 
wanting very much to let the Holy Spirit do this thing and trusting that God will abide, that God will not lead us astray, that he will show us the truth. And, it, you know, it, here I stand, Lord, I can do no other um, is very much in play here. I think that was pretty sobering to hear from uh, somebody like Michael, who clearly went in with a degree of healthy uh, skepticism, but he's seen what we've seen. Uh, and none of us Catholic, Protestant or otherwise should simply dismiss it out of hand when it is the, in fact, the thing we need the most, if it is true. That's well said, Todd. And um, I, I'll just be completely honest. You know, Steve, at the beginning of the show, you kind of laid out the difference between cynicism and skepticism. And I will fully admit I am I'm a cynic to a fault sometimes. And I've confessed that privately to people. And I've confessed that about this story in, in particular, which is why I've waited so long or waited so long to, to comment on it, just to kind of check my own preconceived notions about what's going on. And uh, I've seen some things, Michael kind of addressed them in passing. I've seen a couple of things that concerned me. And um, I, I, I don't know if they're true or not. There's one, one report about queers leading uh, worship. And I'm like, that's kind of a big deal. But I can also see if this is true revival, the enemy is going to try to obfuscate and try to even co-opt things like this as well. So I've just come down, I've just come down on, uh, you know, if, if you've not been there in person, if this is truly the beginning of something like a third great awakening, we're going to know that soon enough. If it's not, we'll know that soon enough as well. No matter how experiential or not this, this, this revival is, God can still use such things and clear, pretty clearly, I think, has used such things to, to call people, to awake people for one and call pe people to repentance uh, for another. So I'm just of the mind, I'm, I'm totally fine letting this thing play out one way or another because God's still on the throne. I will just end by saying this too. On this show, we know and um, do it probably more than anywhere else. We need revival. We need revival. We need revival. Where's revival? Where's revival? I really love the conversation. Hey, is this revival? I love that conversation. That's a conversation I would love to have on a day-to-day -day basis, on a daily basis going forward. I don't know about you guys. Amen. And, you know, in, in, in previous eras when there were great awakenings, drunkenness was a national sin, a calamity, to the point that there was a temperance movement that was birthed largely out of the church in response to it, right? Were there people who were, I'm a drunkard, leading worships at revival services? The question, I think, is when they left that revival service, were they still a drunkard? You know what I'm trying to say? Okay. I mean, there's what you were when you went in there, and then there's what you are when you walk out. And I, that's why I, I, I wanted to, I, I, I thought it was interesting that he specifically went to repentance, Michael did on his own in the very first answer. And then I wanted to circle back and talk about more of it again, because that's, that's to me, the hallmark of sincerity is that word right there. Doesn't mean you're going to walk out of there and not have desires or sin or anything else again, but it, it means that you're not the same. You'll never be the same again. And as a Catholic, Here. this ring true, this part, if the, the public confessing of sins yeah. is vital to me in this. Agreed. I agree. I agree. I agree.
I, yep. I, I think, you know, to, tr go ahead, try it. Lay bare your deepest, darkest secrets. Uh, try it. It, it. it ain't easy. And if people are really doing that, that's something. But I go back again to what Aaron said as well. In the end, you'll, the, the fruit of it will be obvious. And the thing that we have to understand, though, is this is the thing the enemy fears the most, is this right here Amen. happening. He will do whatever he can to disrupt it, to distort it, um, uh, to take it off course, etc. So this really requires a narrow road in, um, in following and adjudicating what is going on. So I want to thank Michael for joining us, as well as all of you. We're going to stick around for our subscribers, bring you overtime. For the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow. Actually, no, Wednesday, we're off tomorrow. John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.